Welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up with the political stories we've been covering here at One News. We're coming to you from the legendary TVNZ Beehive studio here in Parliament. I'm Katie Bradford and with Andrea Vance still on leave and Corin Dan just on his way home from APEC and the East Asia Summit, I'm joined by Jessica Much this Hello. week. Hello. Uh, and yes, big week. Actually, one of the biggest weeks I can remember when it comes to news out of summits like APEC and EAS, uh, East Asia Summit, sometimes by the end of those weeks, um, you're really struggling for stories. Didn't happen this week. Let's have a look at a couple of those tracks from Corin and myself. They're the fresh-faced new generation of world leaders. We have uh, an awful lot to talk about and I'm really, really pleased to, to be here and, and to congratulate you. Very excited to have the, the conversation uh, and I'm, I'm going to put you in the awkward position of inviting you to New Zealand. But smiles at their first meeting cloak a tense undercurrent. New Zealand's delegation is still seething over Canada's bold TPP brinkmanship in Vietnam. But for other world leaders in Manila, exchanges, sometimes awkward, are not focused on trade. Overall, my expectation is that um, this summit will focus heavily on security issues, regional security. The US president will be at the fore of those discussions given as ongoing exchanges with the North Korean leader. Not everyone is happy about Donald Trump coming to the ASEAN summit here in Manila. These are left-wing and student protesters who are furious that he's here. They want him dumped, they want him out, and they do not want him in the Philippines. No Trump! No BFA! No fascist USA! And they have a message for Jacinda Ardern. She's meeting with Philippines firebrand leader Rodrigo Duterte, and she says she will raise concerns over his mass purge and killing of drug dealers. We call upon you to support our campaigns here. But her tensest meeting is likely to be with Australia's Malcolm Turnbull. Always look forward to seeing you. Papua New Guinea's government says more than 400 men have to leave the Manus Island Detention Centre today or face force. I'll be raising with Prime Minister Turnbull, as I have consistently done, that we have grave concerns over the situation on Manus Island. Conditions there are dire. There's no running water, electricity or medicine. Nothing short of a living hell. But the men, many of whom were trying to get to Australia, say new centres aren't ready and fear a fierce local backlash if they move. Australia is facing international pressure to intervene, and Ms Ardern's adding to that by repeating an already rejected offer to take 150 men from Manus and Nauru. Our 150 is an offer to help, it's not a solving of the problem. It has to be a decision that the Australians make, uh, not one that we can force on them or embarrass them into. While she rubs shoulders with superpowers on the world stage, a warning to not rub her closest friend and neighbour the wrong way. A week on the foreign stage, and now a mysterious meeting for Winston Peters with US Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. He asked me to have a meeting with him this morning, but I can't tell you about the details of it. The focus at the East Asia Summit in Manila has been on regional issues, including North Korea and the humanitarian crisis facing the Rohingya people in Myanmar. It's serious, mm. but Tillerson called and he wants New Zealand to be engaged in something and... Uh, uh, we'll have, we have to be able to tell you something about them in the next few days. There have been hints the Foreign Minister might be asked to head to North Korea, as he did in 2007 when last in the job. I think we're in a good position to advocate on these issues. But sources have told One News Myanmar is more likely to be the focus. Well, let's just see what the proposal is and uh, what the expectations are 
and then from that I think we'd have a clear idea of what New Zealand can offer. And Jacinda Ardern says progress is being made on another big issue facing the region, New Zealand's long-standing offer to take 150 refugees from Australia. At a meeting with Malcolm Turnbull, she pledged $3 million in aid to Papua New Guinea to help support refugees on Manus Island. The immediate needs of the men are absolutely critical right now, so, so any support uh, is, is really a positive thing and it also sends a strong signal to Australia about uh, the international community's concern for this. Jacinda Ardern says it'll take months to process those on Manus Island and Nauru. Working together now and early uh, is important uh, so that we are prepared uh, if and when Australia takes up that offer. But it comes with a warning that the ball remains firmly in Australia's court. They hold the information they are the ones who are presiding over the process. So although the United Nations is encouraging Australia to take up the offer, there'll still be a lot of talking before any final agreement. I guess, how do we think Jacinda Ardern did at APEC and EAS, her first big test? It is a big test, and I think that's what we've got to remember. This is the world stage, the big players, even though it is just the Asia-Pacific region, you had the Trumps and the Trudeaus there, You've got to step up and play the big game. And she seemed to do well. She was, she seemed herself. She seemed natural with that, which I think is really important. She didn't go into a prime minister mode. And she seemed to get some small but important wins. Yeah, and seemed to cope. These are, you know, these are big days at these events. You're jet lagged when you hit the ground already. When you, you know, even when you're the prime minister, you're still on the air force plane. Uh, you're tired when you get there. You've got to go into these meetings and high level meetings. And it's one after another after another. You're shaking hands over and over again. You're sitting in big halls. You're on display the whole time. And yeah, for the she looked prime ministerial. She, she did, and that that's the almost the big overarching thing that you want to do when you're there. You want to build those relationships. You want to step up to the mark. What was also interesting is seeing her stand side by side with Winston Peters and how you transform from seeing him as a um, person on the campaign and fighting and scurrying around. Arguing with journalists. Mainly. <laughs> and then he suddenly becomes almost this this different version of himself when he's on the world stage sitting next to the likes of Tillerson and, and he having meetings. He looks like a foreign and minister and he, he does. And he, he put, he, I mean, he's done it before, so he does know what yeah, he's doing. Yeah, and I just wonder also, even though um, Jacinda Ardern, of course, is, is experienced in this area in, in theory, having him there as someone to have done it alongside her um, must have been somewhat of a of a comfort too. Yeah, and I think he would have um, he he would have been giving her advice and, and supporting her along with all of that. I mean, we never know really what goes on in these meetings when they sit down. When when you know when she has a quick word with Donald Trump, she, we only know what they tell us. But but she seems to have been you know she seemed to have gone well in those meetings. Yeah, she has, and you know the big issues, of course, around this Australia stuff, and and uh, two meetings with Malcolm Turnbull to talk around the refugees and what's happening. And there. that's been interesting with the Malcolm Turnbull because she hasn't been passive and sitting back and letting Malcolm Turnbull be this big character and you know the big older brother. She's been pestering and in there with that offer to take the yep. asylum seekers and that's been really you kind of have to say oh, I'm a little bit proud of that that you don't just sit, she's not sit just back. sitting back yeah, yeah. And, and like they like to think of us in Australia as the annoying little cousin or the annoying little sister that's how she's been she's been acting is, mm. is actually just just not giving up on it and while uh, you know she seems to be saying progress has been made in that area of ref ref refugees how many stories have we done we were in Queenstown in, in 2013 
2016 when John Key made that offer to Julia Gillard mm. and it hasn't changed. Nothing has changed from Australia's mm. perspective since then. It's interesting, she says, this progress has been made and that they're going to start the process of processing the refugees. But that still could be wishful thinking on New Zealand's part and that could just be Australia going, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. You know, you go, you know, what what has changed in terms of their foreign policy? Nothing. And it's only got tougher, really. Yeah, it's but she's making life tough for Australia as yeah. well because that's that a big public offer like that, it's it's not terribly diplomatic in that way. It's saying this is what we want. We we're being the bigger person in this situation. And yeah, I just think it's interesting if this is how she's going to play it, it's going to be a fun ride. Yes, and I think also I was interested in some of David Parker's comments around what happened with Canada not showing up for that TPP meeting. He was really... Uh, when you're talking about diplomacy, it wasn't that diplomatic. He said it was Canada's fault. They stuffed it up. They didn't. They didn't turn up. And and rather than trying to to go along with what Canada had said, which was that it was just a scheduling error, they actually have said no. Canada was playing games, which I thought was an interesting way for New yeah, Zealand. Yeah, I think people would have to lose their jobs for that to be a scheduling <laughs> error. That's fairly <laughs> poor. Yeah, you. Oh, you've got this meeting. What time was it again? Yeah. Not quite sure. Not, not that important. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, I guess what's also interesting and what people don't see a lot of is is for the reporters. You know, we've both covered a number of Apex and East Asia summits. What it's like at those events. You know, how would you describe it to people? It's it's really busy and it's really interesting. So you're basically in a usually in a big beautiful place and there's lots of meetings going on um, in in separate sections and you're rushing from one group to the other and they're basically like swarms of bees. So the more important you are, the more swarms of bees you have around you. So um, unfortunately, New Zealand tends to be a smaller group <laughs> rushing around, but you do have to pinch yourselves. You're walking past um, presidents and Obama's, prime ministers and know, premiers yeah. and for geeky political nerds, um, it's, it's amazing. You do have to pinch yourself and say... You know, how did I end up here? And we always say that you rush to wait because they make you, you know, there's going to be, they'll say that at 10 a.m. the Prime Minister is meeting with uh, Duterte or whoever it is. But the media have to be there for the poll. If you're the poll media, you have to be there at about 7 a.m. And you sit in these little cubicles a lot of the time and wait and wait and wait. They're often running late. And then you run into this room and you have about 30 seconds in there in which you can get a quick photo. And And it's called a grip and grin, which is like like this. this. That's basically, you wait two hours for it. <laughs> and and then they might say a few words like, nice to meet you, how was golf on the weekend, or whatever it is, and then the media gets shuttled out, and then you go and wait for another three hours, or you desperately try and file anything you can for your stories. Yeah. So while it looks glamorous and it sounds great that you spent a week in, in Vietnam and Manila, it's really not at all. It's no. quite exhausting, but interesting. <laughs> and it is an amazing thing to do. Yeah. And I think this has been, just because of the timing with everything that's going on in the Asia-Pacific region, with Korea and Myanmar and the South China Sea and Trump and the and US influence and the US yeah. influence all of that means that this week and, and the refugee situation this week has actually been quite interesting yeah um, uh, but in 1999 APEC was held here in New Zealand um, let's have a look at what it was like there countdown he's about a mile and a half two miles before touch Air Force One carrying President Bill Clinton, emerging with daughter Chelsea and mother-in-law Dorothy Rodham. As Head of State, Governor-General Sir Michael Hardy Boys, the first to greet the President. Jenny Shipley clearly happy to have Bill Clinton on the ground. A warm moment with Burton Shipley and daughter Anna. And Hongis with Māori Cabinet Ministers. 
A new experience facing up to the Haka. Bill Clinton captured by these faces, Jenny Shipley by his side and in his ear. Also a Pacific Island welcome. Then whisked away in a massive convoy, crowds lining the streets as the president in the second limo headed towards downtown Auckland. His security hard to miss. The president then driving past the crowds in suburban Auckland. Did you manage to see Mr Clinton? Yes, got to see him. He waved at us. <laughs> he just drove by and was smiling and waving and looked very, very tall in the car. But it was quite amazing to get so close so easily. Into the central city, hundreds waiting for Bill Clinton's arrival. Some got a wave. And clearly no traffic hassles for the president. He was given a clear run through the streets of Auckland City. He'll now be staying here at the Stanford Plaza, one of Auckland City's flashiest hotels, for the next three days. But President Clinton took the back entrance. Onlookers were disappointed. How was that? Shame. How was that? Didn't even see him. Oh. Did he see your flag? Yes, he saw the flag. Did you see him? <laughs> no. I got a snap. Yes, I got a nice picture of the hotel. That's all that matters. Also flying in, the Chinese delegation. President Jiang Zemin at 73, the first Chinese leader to visit New Zealand. Again, a welcome from Jenny Shipley and a lineup of ministers to meet, though this time no Hongi. And like Bill Clinton, the Chinese president welcoming the chance to face the haka. And experience a taste of the South Pacific. Tonight, the two most powerful leaders in the world are in Auckland. Between them, they represent 1.5 billion people. So, President Bill Clinton was here for that. Uh, it was 10 years after the first APEC was held in Canberra. And New Zealand will host it again soon in 2021. A massive event when we host it. Huge. It's going to be huge security-wise and so forth. I think what's interesting, actually, next year it's being held in Papua New Guinea. And I was at the Pacific Island Forum in Papua New Guinea a couple of years ago. And they struggled there. There was not enough accommodation. Security is obviously a huge issue. As reporters, we were told we weren't allowed to go outside of the motels. We had to be in van and motels and conference centres and that was it. So for something like APEC, which is what, I mean, the 10 times the size yeah. of the Pacific Island Forum, a whole different thing. It's going to be very interesting to help have a New Guinea. Absolutely, it. and to also see if we can step up and cope in that way. Um, you have to be able to keep your city running and not be completely crippled, but you have motorcades, you have security, you have huge delegations of people and all of the infrastructure. Um, during the election campaign, there was talk about having the light rail out yes, there yeah. in time in for time. APEC. And imagine how amazing that would be. Yeah, it would make a huge a, difference. And a legacy for New Zealand yeah. as well. So we've got to put ourselves up as a big, proper international city that can cope with all these foreign dignitaries. Mm -hmm. um, and also because part of APEC is, of course, the business side of that. And the, in the year, basically, that you're hosting, you have a number of events with all the business people from the APEC region yeah. coming and going as well. So, so you get warm-ups, if you yeah. like, yeah. for that. So you can see, do we have enough hotels? Do we have a, um, the roading systems in place? Do we have security in place? And then you have this huge influx of world of leaders. People. Yeah. And in terms of APEC, I guess what um, I think... 
you know, the original remit was to facilitate free trade in the region, but it has shifted, hasn't it? It's become, you know, it, it depends what's happening that year in terms of what gets discussed, but yeah, it's it's certainly yeah. changing with time. Yeah, it is, and it does ebb and flow um, with with the issues that come up like the Manus Island and Nauru and things like that that tend to dominate. As we were saying earlier, you sometimes have years that there perhaps aren't as many items on the agenda and urgent things that they have to look into. And then other years like this, it's filled with huge, huge stories with a lot of newsworthiness. So it will depend on what's on, on what's the agenda happening. at that time. Yep. Um, but from our perspective, it'll be really fun if it's if it's big and it meaty well. and worthy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so back home, um, things have been a bit quieter um, yeah. um, uh, here this week, even though it's a sitting week and question time and so forth. That that. Um, uh, uh, let's have a look at my story from earlier in the week about what the government wants to do in terms of clamping down numbers on foreign students coming to New Zealand. <laughs> About 20% of the students at Southern Institute of Technology come from overseas. I'm really hoping that we're still going to get a lot of opportunity for us because just we love it here. But slashing the numbers of foreign students is a key part of the new government's pledges for reducing immigration. To do that, Labour is vowing to target low quality tertiary education courses and providers. We're talking about the people who are on the fringes who are letting the rest of the industry down. Going around and talking to players in the, in, in the industry, uh, they're very alarmed at what's going on and they, they want to get some clarity as quickly as possible from the government. SIT is confident the government will consult with the sector. Really making sure that we understand the areas that are important to New Zealand's economy. So focusing in on any reduction happening in low quality areas. One News can reveal that over the past 15 months, of the 500 organisations NZQA overseas, four tertiary providers who enrolled international students had their registrations cancelled. There were course closures at another five, and at any given time there are 40 investigations underway. Providers were, instead of teaching their students, busing them to kiwi fruit uh, orchards and, and having them work on those orchards for below minimum wage. The export education industry is worth about four and a half billion dollars so the government has to get the balance right between protecting that industry and meeting its own yet to be confirmed target of reducing student numbers. Let's ensure that the regulators are active in the field dealing with poor performers and closing them down and that's what they've been doing over the past year and that's the appropriate response rather than to just bring out the scythe and lop off a quarter of a major industry. Another test for this new government with an industry eager to learn its plans. So when they, you know, the government seems to be saying they're talking about low quality courses and institutions, but the question is, of course, how do you define that? Yeah, and that's part of it as well. But I think the big, the bigger picture is then do they want to stay on as well? And I think that's what's become more of a problem. It's big bucks, the education industry, bringing foreign students. 4.5 billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. And bringing them for over there to have a taste of New Zealand, um, learn about our culture, etc., etc. But then the number that want to stay on, I guess, is, is what's raising issues and raising questions for the government. And the damage to um, our the, the reputation of, the, of the, the, the majority of providers are good quality, you know, legitimate providers. And then you've got the small percentage who are that just running scam courses, essentially. Yeah, and that's what the government needs needs to look at. But I know, having spoken to a lot of people in the sector, that they are really concerned about the government's 
the policy, which we don't have the details on yet, but the policy having unintended consequences yeah. by cr- by cracking down that you may affect other parts of the industry and and harm that. And so getting the balance right is yeah a because issue. these students are often in high demand. You have universities from or institutions from all over the world pitching for them, if you like, and these guys are choosing to come to New Zealand. If there's that reputational issue, they'll go other yeah. places. And you see, you know, if you've spent tens of thousands of dollars to enrol in a course and move to New Zealand and yeah. everything that's involved with that, and then you come here and actually your course isn't isn't what you thought it was and isn't going to get you a job and isn't going to mean yeah. residency, then it isn't good for our reputation. No. But I think it will be a hard balance um, for for the government to get this policy right. You know, they talk about trying to reduce the numbers by tens of thousands, ten, about 10,000, I think. I mean, they, they haven't been able to put a proper target on it now once they're in government. That no. was the talk before when they're in op- opposition. They haven't put an exact number on it. They don't quite know how they're going to get there. And I think there's a lot of work and probably not something that they want to rush either. No, and there are perhaps some parts of legislation that you can try and test out and tweak. This isn't one no, of them. No, it's not one that you want to play around with. No. Get, yeah. The other big issue... Um, um, again, parental leave. Uh, let's have a look at Jess's track from this week. 26 babies representing 26 weeks of paid parental leave. The law changes on the way, so the government organised a baby shower to celebrate. That extra support, the extra weeks, will make all the difference. But having, you know, Alana to spend more time, you know, with our babies absolutely phenomenal. But National is calling for some tweaks. At the moment mums can transfer paid parental leave to their partner but they can't take time off together. For example you're not allowed to have both parents off for 13 weeks at the same time. But National wants it to be up to parents to decide what works for them. Because it gives families the choice when there's a sick child or a sick mother uh, to have the other parent there at a time when they really need it. The minister says he'll think about it, but experts say that's not a good option for the baby. Anything that takes away from that 26 weeks at home with mum is not ideal for the baby and not what we would see as being in the best interest of the child. The parents we spoke to say the next step is more paid leave for dads. I think it should be these days because of how many people are both working in in homes now. The job of a partner is so important, especially when it's your first baby. We put that to the new minister. That is one solution. That obviously comes with additional costs and that needs to be factored in with the rest of the government's programme. Labour has agreed to another of National's tweaks. Mums will be allowed to go back to work for a few hours a week if they choose for things like board meetings and conferences without losing their entitlements. The changes to paid parental leave are set to be rushed through Parliament before Christmas. So what's going on there? What is, is this political games the opposition is playing? Yeah, well I think what's happened is they're wanting to get the paid parental leave through. It's a big issue within 100 days. It's symbolic for Labour. They've been fighting for this for a long time. National, obviously, in the campaign changed its mind and said, yep, we will support paid parental leave they say, because the economic conditions have changed. But, you know, it was political pressure. They're now putting up these two amendments. One of them, absolutely fine. Labour agrees with it. And it's a a slight tweak, not too major, but it will allow um, parents to have um, more, more, if they want to go into work and have a few hours at work, like for a board meeting or something like that, then they'll be able to do that if that's what they choose without losing their entitlement. So if we, say, had a, a, a big conference for TVNZ or something like that... You can go in for You a can couple, go in just yeah. for a few hours. The other part that's more contentious is about whether parents can take off leave at the same time. So 
I think that's where they're sticking. Research shows that it is better for, for children to have a parent at home bonding for as long as they can. So that's the 26 weeks. Of course, I could you can trade with your partner to give them some of the weeks, but at the moment you're not allowed to spend that time at home alone. So, And that's never been in policy, and I think that's no. something people... I, I've had a couple of people ask me who thought that Labour were taking this away from the current legislation. Well, no, it just isn't in legislation at the moment. National no. wants it to be in yeah, there Yeah, and they, their argument is that it should be up to parents to decide how they want to do it. If they think it's best for the the mother or the main caregiver to stay at home for the 26 weeks, fine, you do that. If you would like, if you've got twins or a sick, sick child or there's some special circumstance where you might want to say, we want the father to have paid parental leave for the first six weeks and the mother at the same time. Just to give that extra support. Then that should be up to them. So I think it's hard for the government because they're obviously trying to rush this through, um, perhaps showing that there are a few glitches and things. It's not going to be coming into effect until July. There's still time. There's plenty of time. But you don't want to be caught up too much with being, oh, like, being say, yeah, yeah, that's a good amendment. I'm going to take that from National. It makes you look as though it's rushed and not thought through. So there's a bit of politics, but... You know, from the sa- at the same time, National didn't even want it. They vetoed it, remember? Yeah, so- for year, I mean, that, legisl- that bill came to Parliament twice and yeah. National said no. Um, I think it's interesting one because um, National think they have the high ground on that one and, and why not Why not give parents a choice? If they choose that they want to take their leave at the same time, isn't that the whole point of it? And to the- be able to choose what your situation, yeah. how and things the nanny work for you. state. That's yeah. what's been fun yeah. because as soon as it came out, boom, well, that's... Um, Labour telling Labour telling parents how they should yeah d- take their leave yeah and I, I you know you kind of think with all this talk we have now around flexible working arrangements and everything which is great this is that we do seem to be getting better and moving forward in that area people should have the choice if you're going to give them that time people make their own decisions based on their family and their budgets and so forth how they want to do it um, Labour seemed to their reasoning seemed to be that advice had told them that it was too difficult or research tells them otherwise I think they're just digging their heels in and being stubborn on that. Point. Yeah, and we might see that change, you know, over time. The other thing that was really interesting is talking to um, some of the parents there. Who were ob- it was arranged by Labour, so obviously um, were, were there to support that. But talking to them about this idea of the flexibility, they were saying, well, look, maybe it shouldn't be either, or maybe um, or the fathers or the, the secondary caregiver should be able to have their own separate leave. So I thought, oh, well, I'll put that to the minister and see what, what he thinks. And I expected him to be quite categoric and saying, look, we're celebrating this at this time, that's, that's in the future. Yep. And he was like, oh, look, that's a goal, and we'd have to look at it. He was more more open to that idea than I thought. So it'll be interesting to see... If that's if the next stage. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think a lot of workplaces do give, you know, paid leave to dads or to, to to parents these days as well, extra leave on top of that. Yeah. But that's reliant on a workplace being able to do it and being flexible and so forth yeah. as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, sort of how how far do you go? And, and, obviously and how much appetite stuff. there is from the public for that yeah. as well. I'm not sure. Yeah. And, and that is still, they are still doing that gradual increase with the paid parental leave. And in terms of, you know, this being the first legislation for Labour, it makes sense for it 
to be this because it's easy for them. The mm. bill's been before the house so many times. You know, this great it's photo an, it's, it's, <laughs> The number of times we've had babies at Parliament, oh. the twenty sixth for babies <laughs> thing. I can I can count at least four or five times over the past few years when we've had babies but at Parliament over this. Cute babies for <laughs> yeah. TV cameras. Those first amazing. babies now are probably like at primary school. Oh, they, I think yeah, they will be yeah. it's the first babies yeah. from doing this if we went back and had a look at it. But but for Labour it is, you know, it has been a big issue for them and it's an easy one and it's easy one for them to get under the way first. Nationals feeling happy because they feel like they've had a bit of a win of proving a point around this as well um, and they'll come out of this sort of week in, in Parliament thinking, you know, they've done pretty well in that sense. Yeah, so. having slightly adjusted to life in opposition <laughs> yeah. and square they're just getting, Yeah, they're just getting used to it. Okay, so well, great to have us have uh, you with us again this week. This great was to have us here us, too, I think. Uh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Um, great to have you with us again this uh, for Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering at One News. Uh, we're generally available every Friday morning on the One News Facebook page, SoundCloud and iTunes. See you next week.